0: Lights, you are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 570. And I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M.
1: And I'm Lorraine Sink, agent of <laughs> Allergy. <No. laughs> She's a little crumbly today, but you know what? Going strong. Can't stop, won't stop. We're on our way to New York Comic Con. Gotta stay healthy. Gotta slam the vitamin C. We're moving with it. The
0: most important thing, Lorraine, is that we have both put up our 12-foot tall skeletons this weekend. (laughs)
1: Yes. It's in the air, you know?
0: There's still work to be done, but I'm feeling good about getting into the season.
1: I also watched a bunch of tutorials about how you can take one of those skeletons and basically put a bunch of spray foam around it and pose it so it looks like it's crawling out of the ground. We'll, we'll see how crafty I get and if I can get myself to use some spray foam.
0: <sighs> All right. Enough skeleton talk, at least for the moment, because this is the official Marvel podcast where we talk about what's happening this week in Marvel. Whether it's games, comics, TV, movies, or whatever, we're excited about. We're going to get into it, and we've got a lot to talk about.
1: Oh, Oh yeah! This week we got a big show because Marvel Studios' Thor: Love and Thunder is now available to own on 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray and digital HD. And to celebrate, we'll be talking to the film's of VFX supervisor, Jake Morrison, who's awesome. Plus, we have a bonus interview with actor Kieran Dyer, who plays Axel, the son of Heimdall. What a charming young man! And we are just chock full of Marvel Studios' Thor: Love and Thunder goodness because not only do we have friends on the show this week. We also have three, two, Marvel, Marvel, Marvel Studios, Studios Thor, Thor Love, Love and, and Thunder
0: blu Race Sweepstakes
1: presented, presented by, by This
0: Week in Marvel. Marvel? Say
1: Marvel? Marvel. Marvel. Ryan, tell yeah. the people what they could win.
0: We were able to get some stuff to give away at the thing we want to do all the time. We have an army of lawyers who made this happen, <laughs> and we are very excited because we are going to give away 10 copies of Marvel Studios' Thor Love and Thunder Blu-ray. This sweepstakes is presented by us here at This Week in Marvel and Marvel Insider. So, to enter for a chance to win a copy of Marvel Studios' Thor Love and Thunder Blu-ray, please head over to marvel.com slash thor sweepstakes. We'll put the link in our description, but that's T-H-O-R-S-W-E-E-P-S-T-A-K-E-S. The disc is the Walmart-exclusive 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray with the digital copy and bonus features all up on there, plus a hammer pin so you get something extra, extra cool. As I said, we have 10 copies of this to give away, and this is is for you guys, the listeners to our show. So please don't post it around, but tell people, hey, you should go listen to This Week in Marvel to get it on a really cool sweepstakes. And so that they can get all the directions and all the information here. You'll need to sign up for a Marvel Insider account. That's, of course, a free account. And it will cost you zero points to enter, which is super duper cool. But you got to be a Marvel Insider. You must be a resident of the United States. And... 18 years or older sorry international fans who are also 12 years old we love you but this is again for Marvel insiders you got to be over 18 and in the US and the sweepstakes is running until October 14th please see all the official rules and details terms and conditions over at marvel.com Thor sweepstakes
1: and of course now you can purchase it at your local stores or you can watch it on Disney plus. But also, we just got a dang treat this week that nobody saw coming. Ryan Reynolds released not one, but two videos with everyone's favorite Wolverine, Hugh Jackman. Ryan Reynolds shared that he's, of course, very sorry that he couldn't be at D23, but he's been hard at work on a new Deadpool film and boy, oh, boy, does he want to make it very special since it's going to be Wade Wilson's first appearance in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? And uh, since he wanted to be extra special, he called up his pal, Hugh Jackman, and said, hey, you want to play Wolverine one last time? And Jackman, very nonchalantly, was like, yeah, sure, Ryan so now that's happening which is amazing they went on to share a second video where they told us a little bit about how that comes to be and and what's going to happen unfortunately the audio is a little hard to hear so um, we might just have to wait to see the film but also director Sean Levy weighed in on the announcement and said it's been burning a hole in his lips for weeks now which is appropriate for
0: Mr. Wade Wilson
1: The new Deadpool movie from Marvel Studios arrives in theaters on September 6th of 2024. But that's not all I'm excited about.
0: No, we've got to talk a little bit about Marvel Studios' She-Hulk Attorney at Law.
1: Oh my gosh, we're already on episode seven. Mm -hmm. This is such a nice, it's like a capsule episode. Like She-Hulk steps away. She um, does some inward reflection. We get a couple of characters that we have never seen in the MCU. (laughs) Yeah. I never thought I would see in the MCU.
0: I love it. I love that we're just expanding the MCU in weird, fun ways. Yeah, this episode is wild. It's great.
1: I definitely thought of you when a certain um, <laughs> spiky gentleman shows yeah. up, oh, yeah. and I thought, wow, this was just for Ryan. It um
0: <laughs> feels like it. It was terrific.
1: But of course, you can watch episode seven, which is now available only on Disney+, Plus, and of course, new episodes out on Thursdays. And If you didn't notice, there are some really great Marvel must-haves over on Marvel.com. There's also some really great articles coming out. Patty Guggenheim, who plays the iconic, the best character in the MCU. Sorry to everyone else. Madison (laughs) with a Y and you don't know where it is. She has a great interview over on Marvel.com. And there's so many cute products and things. Go check them out. Go over to the site. It's the best.
0: I could add a second N to my first name and be like, I'm Ryan with a Y and two N's, but they're not where you think, except they are. And then (laughs) it's
1: like, Narayan.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That would be great. All right, let's roll on and talk about something super cool over in Marvel Unlimited because we just wrapped up Fortnite Marvel Zero War, the big comic book story that crossed over the Marvel characters with the Fortnite characters and storyline. Really cool stuff. Five issues. Now, Boom, boom, boom. Surprise. All issues are on Marvel Unlimited. So that's one part. That's super cool. Go to marvel.com slash unlimited. Make sure you're subscribed. Go check it out. The second part of that is if you read all five issues on Marvel Unlimited, you will receive a code for six bonus in-game items now through October 27th. And so these six items are the five costumes that were part of the print comics so if you miss them when they came out in print issues you can get them now there's the spider-man zero outfit stark seven wrap adamantium claws pickaxe the snicked snicked spray The Zero War loading screen, but then there's a bonus outfit, which more details coming soon. Super cool that we now have all of these on MU. Go read them. If you haven't tried Marvel Unlimited yet, it is your all access pass to over 30,000 Marvel comics at your fingertips. Start your seven day free trial or sign up with plans as low as $9.99 a month. Do it. What are you waiting for?
1: I mean, we talk about Marvel Unlimited all the time. And just a reminder, yes, you can go get all of these six awesome cosmetic items from Fortnite if you read those great comics. But also, there are all of the Infinity comics. Mm -hmm. There's so much good stuff. We can't sing enough praises. Plus, you can sit down and read like 60 years of comics back to back pretty much for a whole lot of runs. So do it. All right, next up, it's not just New York Comic-Con coming up. It's also Hasbro PulseCon 2022, Reveals and Hype Bound, the Marvel brand panel at Hasbro PulseCon is on September 30th. So today, if you're listening on Friday, and it's through tomorrow, Saturday, October 1st. And our pals from Marvel Legends and their team over at Hasbro, Ryan Ting, Dwight Stahl, and Dan Yoon, who we talked to many times here on the show, have some Mm -hmm. cool stuff to show off. So we're going to recap the events and the reveals next week. So no spoilers just yet. They're literally telling everybody what they are right now. (laughs) So hold on to your hats and butts, and we'll uh, talk about it next week. But a quick reminder, if you missed it last week, the Marvel Legends HasLab Engine of Vengeance campaign is rolling out. Go check it out. It's so darn cool. Of course, it is the Robbie Reyes version of the Engine of Vengeance, the super duper cool roadster. And we're well on our way to getting that funded. So if you're interested, head over to HasbroPulse.com now. Go sign up Go get on that HasLab goodness. Of course, the only way these get made is if you want them. So (laughs) if you want it, go and get it now. Otherwise, you'll miss your chance. And uh, maybe stay tuned for New York Comic Con next week. I don't know. Maybe we'll have some more stuff to talk about at the convention. Mm. Mm, I guess we'll have to wait and see.
0: But, you know, also talking about toys, there were some Toy of the Year awards, and Marvel nibbed two of them. We got Construction Toy of the Year for the Lego Marvel I Am Groot Buildable Baby Groot, which is adorable. Oh, it's
1: so cute.
0: So cute. Then the Doll of the year went to Black Panther, Wakanda Forever collectible dolls, which bring the movie's strong and brilliant characters to life. You have Shuri, Okoye, Nakia with authentic hairstyles and detailed fashions inspired by the costumes in the film. So they are well-deserved. So, so so good.
1: It's crazy when you see them, you're like, I feel like I have just picked up a mini person. They're incredible. (laughs) Also, Target has announced New Marvel Studios' Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. It's a new collaboration that's starting in October. It's the first of its kind with Marvel Studios' Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, along with ongoing expansion of the Disney Store at Target, Shop in Shops at more than 200 locations by the end of the year. And it's going to feature all kinds of exclusive Black Panther merch, augmented reality stuff, movie screenings, and more. Plus, they, of course, carry toys, home goods, apparel, beauty stuff, as well as pillows and PJs only at target including the lego black panther wakanda forever royal sea leopard ship Ooh, i like that that's a little tease for the film and also some exclusive items from the black panther legacy collection pop series from funko so all kinds of black panther merch is going to be taking target by storm
0: Yeah, and look, if you get to check all this stuff out while you're shopping for all things Marvel Studios, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, guests can get in on the Action Explore two immersive augmented reality experiences. So in stores, you're gonna look for signs in the toy department. Then you're gonna scan a QR code with your phone to explore Wakandan-inspired technology, which is really, really Mm. cool. And then on top of all this that we've been talking about, together with Disney and Marvel Studios, Target is hosting more than 130 community screenings of the film in support of and attended by nonprofit organizations in select markets across the U.S. You love to see it. That's wonderful Mm -hmm. and very exciting. And of course, all this is in support of Marvel Studios' Black Panther Wakanda Forever, which arrives in theaters on November 11th. Can't wait. All right, let's shift over and talk about some game stuff with Marvel Puzzle Quest, one of Marvel Games' longest running projects. And it is actually reaching its ninth anniversary next week. Very, very cool. Can't believe it's nine years. Time is very strange. And that kicks off a month of activities, including a PvP season featuring all the characters released since the last anniversary, a new character by the name of Dupe. Released. I love the (gasps) dupe art. He's so good. And when I got the, when I first saw his image in the game a couple of weeks ago, I immediately made it my avatar on our internal Marvel Slack because he's just. (laughs) It's so perfect. I love dupe so much. Anyway, there's a boss event featuring Arcade. New characters featuring two versions of Arcade will be released. There's going to be double ISO, all month long, special sales, free gifts, all kinds of stuff happening throughout the month. There should be some information on Marvel.com by the time this episode goes out with like a calendar showing off some of the events and different things, some of the buffs that will be available, daily play stuff, logins, all the details, so much. Going on, but most importantly, dupe, 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 dupe.
1: You know what I like about Dupe? Well, many things, but I like that he doesn't sort of ascribe to human clothing standards. Like he's just naked and he paints on a circle and an X on his chest, and he's like, you know what?
0: Done. Living his best life.
1: All right. We've mentioned it several times now, but of course, New York Comic-Con is upon us next week. It kicks off on October 6th. That's Thursday through Sunday. Ryan's going to be there all four days holding it down at the Marvel booth, hosting panels, hanging out, being friends with people. Me, I'm going to be at the This Week in Marvel panel. We are doing a Captain America Cold War panel. It is on Thursday, so if you want to see me, there's one place and one place only. I will be walking into the panel and walking out. So if you want (laughs) to catch me, that is the place. Of course, we're going to have stage shows over at the Marvel booth. There's going to be in-booth activations. We're going to have lots of cool Marvel stuff out on the floor with our partners. There's going to be all kinds of great stuff.
0: Going to be a hoot next week. I hope to see so many of you there. But something that started last week is that brand new Star Wars show, Andor, which I'm really digging. Terrific fun. And if you are a fan of Cassian Andor, the star of that series, or maybe you're just into more Star Wars stuff, there's a great article on Marvel.com with Cassian's best moments from comics, and then you can go read them on Marvel Unlimited. Another reason to be an MU subscriber.
1: And of course, if you want to watch Star Wars Andor, you can watch it now only on Disney+. Oh, and speaking of comics, Kelly Thompson is doing a Reddit AMA. It's today. If you're listening on Friday, you can head over to Reddit to check that out in their AMA section. Kelly Thompson, of course, the incredible writer of the most iconic series of our time, it's Jeff, as well as Captain Marvel and lots of other wonderful series for Marvel Comics. So definitely go check that out if you're interested in how the donuts are made.
0: Mmm, donuts. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the podcast of it all, and I'll let you know what's going on this week on Marvel's Pull List, one of the other podcasts I co-host, where we talk about all the new comics out every week. This week our picks are Amazing Spider-Man number 10, which made me cry in public. Defenders Beyond number three, and Miles Morales, Spider-Man number 42, which is a big Terrific final issue for writer Saladin Ahmed, but uh, we're going to be getting plenty more Miles really soon. But four years of Saladin wow. on Miles comes to a close and and just like a terrific issue. It's, it's not like, oh, no, dead, end of the world stuff. It's just great character beats. I loved it. And then we have a reading club every week where we pick a book on Marvel Unlimited and we talk about it with a guest this week. We have comic book letterer. Ariana Mar joining us to talk about one of the best Marvel comics ever made Thor, the mighty Avenger. And I say that I know it sounds hyperbolic, but Thor, the mighty Avenger is one of the greatest comics we've ever made. Roger Langridge and Chris Somney and Matthew Wilson and uh, a whole team just came together. If you have not read it, please, please, please go read it right now. Um, and, you know, it's really cool because Ariana Mar gives a different perspective than we normally get from when we're talking about our comics on the reading clubs because she's a letterer. She letters amazing, amazing comics. And all month long over on Marvel.com, we've been celebrating comic book letterers. So you can check out a whole bunch of spotlights, learn about the people who do an unsung job of making your your comics greater. Ariana helps us finish that month strong over on the podcast. So please give it a listen on Sirius XM, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I love that. That's the best. All right. Over on Marvel's Voices, of course, we've mentioned it before, the theme of season six is Marvel, a window to our world, looking at global influences and how they've affected the Marvel universe. And this week's episode, episode six, is about Moon Girl team-ups with Mahale Mashigo, who is a South African musician and a writer of novels and comics, and a narrative director for video game company Nyamakop. Host Anjali Crochet, friend of the show, who we love very much, asks her about writing Moon Girl without Devil Dinosaur and co-writing one of South Africa's first black superheroes, Quezi, You can find out lots, lots more in the episode. It's really phenomenal. Of course, you can listen to the episode on the SiriusXM app, Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Go check it out.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. More podcasty goodness for you this week because we got to talk about Marvel's Wastelanders Doom.
1: Doom, do, doom, doom,
0: This is the latest installment of the multi part audio epic scripted podcast series, Marvel's Wastelanders from Marvel Entertainment and Sirius XM. This week we have Chapter Four Destructive Interference available to subscribers on Marvel Podcasts Unlimited, on Apple Podcasts, and the Sirius XM app. A little bit of info on this episode it goes like this After being captured by Claw's soldiers, Johnny and Valeria meet a member of the Neo Babylonian Resistance. On a secret rescue mission, Doom makes right a bargain gone wrong and discovers the exact location of a coveted item. Let's listen to a teaser right now. Why trust him? Victor? I don't. Then why are we here? In this prison?
1: Why did we listen to him? Why did we There's stay There's something put? here that he wants. So much so that he'll even die for it. And I need to know what that thing is.
2: And how are we going to find Doom?
1: By doing what he wants us to do.
2: You two, out. Where are you taking us? This is gonna be a long trip out west, and I don't mind lightning the load if I have to.
1: Well, as I see it, you're outnumbered. And that little blaster gun of yours won't really do much. Especially because we've got a killing machine sitting right next to us.
2: Oh, and who might that be?
1: Recorder over here. Don't piss her off, she's deadly.
2: Oh, yeah?
0: That is the latest episode, Episode 4, and Chapters 1 through 4 are now available to subscribers on SiriusXM app and Marvel Podcasts Unlimited on Apple Podcasts. And if you are not on those services, Chapters 1 through 3 are available wherever you get your podcasts. Please, please, please subscribe to Marvel Podcasts Unlimited for exclusive bonus content and to hear episodes one week early.
1: Yeah, the good old subscription to Marvel Podcasts Unlimited. On Apple Podcasts, gets you access to a lot of stuff. So if you want to listen to the premium podcast, baby, that's where to do it. All right. The time has come. Thund- that's thunder. but That's rain. Lightning. Uh, you're so yeah, welcome. I did not
0: know lightning made a sound.
1: Yeah, it's surprisingly cheerful. But of course, those sounds hearken the coming of Marvel Studios Thor, Love and Thunder, VFX supervisor Jake Morrison.
0: Yes, of course, Jake. Delightful. I would say even a triple D, a ding dang delight of a person to talk to. We get to talk to Jake about his career, what a VFX supervisor does, which I think is great, especially we know a lot of people who listen to our shows are curious about the makings of things. Maybe some people want to get involved in the making of Marvel things. So this is really cool. Um, And he also talks about something we're going to get into in a little bit, how they pulled off scenes like The Moon of Shame, that uh, big black and white scene. Very, very cool. Let's talk to Jake Morrison, VFX supervisor on Marvel Studios Thor Love and Thunder
2: right now. Jake, how you doing? Hi, guys. Yeah, really well, thank you.
1: So excited to have you on. Of course, you have worked with the Marvel Cinematic Universe for many a year, particularly with a certain God of Thunder. Most recently on Marvel Studios' Thor: Love and Thunder as the VFX supervisor. But we want to know what's your Marvel origin story? How did you first sort of get synced up with the characters in the world of Marvel?
2: Oh, that's a that's a really cool question. I was a kid, and what, what can I say? I was so I'm English. My mom and dad moved over for work to the States, to Los Angeles, actually was San Francisco and Los Angeles, and I got exposed to the world of American comics because there weren't really that many in England then. You'd get these these cheeky black and white reprints of uh, of the stuff that was released over here. And so I came over, and for just for a couple of years, I got completely immersed in the world of, of American comics, which I think looking back, I would say... You know the the English comics represent. You know it's very similar to how you grow up in England. Not a grey <laughs> skies, not of quite. You know it's 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 a smaller scope. Getting the American stuff, the full color, just exploding. I would say that they were like widescreen. You know they're like cine, the fully cinematic stuff. You look at something like the Fantastic Four comics. They were just like watching a movie in there. And so for you know four or five years, I I just deeply was immersed in that. And then as we went back to England, I would continue to, to read them if I'd get hold of them. And there would be all of this, everybody would just be looking at like all the adverts in the back, like the commercials and like, what is a ho-ho? What, what is this hostess <laughs> Twinkie? What is this thing? What is this amazing thing that you have in America? And then you'd, you'd have, you know, the, the x-ray specs that you could do, the mm-hmm. sea monkeys. There's people with, with like the whole crowns and everything. It was this window into this extraordinary world and it just never really left me like that sense of just, it could be absolutely anything. The Marvel comics always had the Stan, Stanley's take on growing up was really strong. I mean, it has been strongly documented before, but you know, like something like Spider-Man, like Peter Parker as a character, it speaks to you as a, as a young boy, like I'm sure it speaks to a lot of folks, but there's that part of like an awkward superhero. You don't know who you are yet, but you're sort of forced to do stuff. And I think that was really the exciting thing about those comics. And then honestly, furthest from my mind, the idea that I would end up working with Marvel you know, for the last 12, 13 years or something like that, that is just, that's the most extraordinary thing for me. I will say this, that when the first Marvel picture where the gang asked me to be the main supervisor was Thor 2. And the very first, they gave us basically a virtual stack of comics to read, to go through. And the top one that I read, I went, Oh my god, I had this when I was twelve. I was like, I can do I can do this. I was actually I something I know I know something about this that like, it was completely tangential, but really, really wonderful. And then the you know, the team's just it's a great bunch of people at Marvel. It's it's a family, as you guys know. Always changing, always moving forward, but really just got such great heart and such great storytellers.
0: Do you remember what that book was, what that comic was?
2: I I do actually. And it it was nothing to do with Thor (laughs) 2. It was just a stack of Thor stuff. It was the Beta Ray Bill one. Mm -hmm. It's the cover where Beta Ray Bill smashes through the Thor logo. Mm. And I just remember that. And it was, you know, it was probably one of hundreds, hundreds of of ones that I I was given for my my homework. And I'm just like, oh no, I know know this character.
1: Well, You've been with Thor since the beginning. This is your fourth Thor film. It's true. What are some of the biggest changes that you've seen in the VFX process since you started over the years?
2: Well, I I mean, I I think the one thing that the Thor films have taught us, certainly when you're making the visual effects, is... Unlike almost any other picture in the Marvel universe, Thor can be anything. The worlds can be anything, and and it's galactic space opera stuff, right? So, so that's the thing that I never forget when I'm looking at a Thor film, is the scope, the grandeur, just the sheer scale of everything has got to be Thor level, right? Because it's you know Asgard, just, you know was this this floating cone of rock in the middle with this crazy rainbow bridge that connected it, you know the original Kirby stuff. Like if you look at the early illustrations that Kirby did for Asgard, it looks like Tomorrowland. It's like, it's, it's like this really crazy, everything is over the top, sort of retro future stuff. And then because each film travels, like there, there's all of the Thor films are, are basically roller coasters. You just, you just start here and then you go there and you rarely go back to the same place twice. For me, like the challenge and the excitement has been world building. From a visual effect point of view, you get to do incredibly cool environments and they're all galactic level. You're not building just cities, you're building like cities that are, you know, the size of planets regularly, which is exciting. And then of course, you've just got all the galactic level kind of like powers and stuff like that, you know. Take an example, when Serta destroys Asgard in Ragnarok, you basically got, you know, a creature which is like a mile tall, wielding an enormous flaming sword shoving it through the rainbow bridge and basically killing Heller and then ultimately destroying an entire planet. It just doesn't happen in many films. It's like it's, <laughs> you don't get that chance to do that crazy stuff. And that's just one thing that happened in the movie. It was a big thing. But along the way, there's loads of stuff. So the challenge I think is to try and just work with the audience and come <laughs> up with something that they haven't seen before because the audience is so incredibly visually sophisticated having seen so many visual effects pictures now And also expect something from the Thor universe to be like otherworldly, bigger, cooler, like more spectacular and also nuts. Yeah. I mean, you know, the goat boat, (laughs) you're not going to get the goat boat in a a different picture. This is, this is a one-off.
0: Can you detail a little bit more about the VFX process for our listeners and sort of does it differ from film to film or is it really like your process kind of stays the same?
2: The process of of doing the world building and any any sort of visual effects stuff, it starts with character stuff. We'll be working with the visual development department at at Marvel, BizDev, who are just some of the most talented people that I have worked with in, in my life. From the planet building stuff, it's a mixture of working with the vendors. They'll have internal concept artists. Our production designers on each film will be putting forward like tons and tons of options, which will be something that then the director goes through, selects, sifts through, approves, we do these these big vis-dev reviews where we all present our wares. Basically, it's all the heads of the department get together with the director and the heads of the studio and basically present directly and say, like, we think that this is what Omnipotent City looks like, or we think this is what the mood of shame looks like, or or whatever it is, or the goats. or Any any of those things go through an approval process in flat artwork terms, usually. And then after that, like it, it differs. Sometimes you're developing stuff while you're shooting the picture because... New ideas will come in the script like and they happen late enough. You're building the boat literally while you're sailing in it, and that happens a a lot. Stitching the parachute after you jumped off the (laughs) cliff is a better analogy sometimes. So you start to prototype this stuff as quickly as possible. You turn it from concept art into 3D renders as quickly as possible. And then from my job, like to try and make sure that the creatives have as much emotional engagement as possible. What I always try to do is take whatever the character is or take whatever the environment is. And instead of doing some, frankly, boring staging, like, you know, you're seeing all the before and afters, what's called the T-pose, like the turntable. There is no more boring way for a creative to look at a character. So we always try and find a way, like if you're showing a planet or a city, I'll try and make a shot that could be in the movie. Like it might not be there. You know, we might have no idea what we're using this thing for yet, but I'll try and show it in, in a dynamic, interesting way that's engaging because you want to look at this stuff and kind of go, this could be in my film. Like if you're a filmmaker, you want you want to see this stuff. or know immediately if, if it couldn't be. And the same is true of the characters and their effects. You don't want to have a character in a still pose with like a bunch of bolts of lightning coming out of their eyes. You wanna actually show somebody doing something cool in the outfit that they're gonna be in as far as you've got it advanced. And then develop that effect in 3D in, in an animated sense, because all the artists, which which my God, we have so so many incredibly skilled artists that work on all our visual effects vendors, we want their work to be appreciated by everybody as much as possible. And and the best way to have that stuff land and be seen in a positive light is to have it be emotive. That's what I've learned over the years as far as a visual effects supervisor. You know, there's something I can do to make that work get better received is to have it feel cool when they see it.
1: It's so mind-blowing to me because, you know, obviously you have so many artists, but then they're like, okay, now go make it real. And they just hand it off to you and you have to make it real and then throw in actors. You know, if you have a character like Korg, there's an actor inside of it. Of course, the director, Taika Waititi, inside. How does that look when you're filming? And how do you coordinate with the production crew so that you're like, hey, how do I make this normal man into a big rock man?
2: It's a super, it's a challenge. Korg's a great example, and Korg version two on this one. Korg had a new outfit for this one, right? So he's wearing these super cool silk, um, I mean, not pajamas, but they, you know that kind of silk material, which Myas, our amazing costume designer, came up with this print, beautiful. And then he's got this great kind of like fur rough thing that he's wearing, and it's, you know, this crazy sort of, was it, ram, golden uh, belt buckle. I mean, it's a way over the top outfit, just gonna say. But what we normally do is we'll go, all right, can you please build us one of these, whatever it is, even if it's gonna be like fully CG all the time, what we always ask production to, to build one of them. And usually, it's just so at the end of every shot or take or camera setup, You'll wheel that through. So, for example, in the old days, if Taika was wearing like his grey pajamas, like the motion capture dotty ones, he would have walked all the way through a set during the course of a particular take. When we get to the end of it, we've got to go. All right, before everybody moves on, we're going to bring out all the corg bits and and a, and a team. We call it the parade. It's it's a thing, <laughs> and the parade really comes through and God, it's, it's, and everybody gets into it. And sometimes it's conga lines, and it's just it's just. <laughs> because sometimes I mean, if you didn't like an avengers picture like the parade can take a while because you've got like it's this it's this shield it's this hammer it's this thing and it's because if they have to be cg in any way in a shot you need to have accurate lighting reference to make the stuff look real so that's a matter of course so but on this one i managed to convince taika instead of getting the real corg built and then bringing it all in i was like what if we just make it a costume and you wear it all the time so when you see the behind the scenes stuff mayas again our costume designer actually did him like um it's a screen print version with with rocks so gray rocks here he's got the fur rough that korg's got he's got the the silk pants and all the rest of it he's got the boots he's got the, he's got the leather bandolier he's got all that stuff and it what it meant is that taika is Physically wearing lighting reference, you could say that I did it because he would inhabit the character better. But he doesn't need that. <laughs> it's just really, really, really cool lighting reference all the time. So every time you see Korg, it's it's almost always Taika was wearing the full gear and walking through there. So it helps with the lighting reference. And the tricky thing with a character like Korg, who is so integral to the story because it's you know Thor's best mate and he's on camera all the time. Is people almost forget that it's a CG character in the editing suites. People are like, you know, oh, but this this shot's basically all in camera, and you're like, except for the <laughs> seven foot six rock monster. True. Oh, and the fact that it's a blue screen out the windows, so that there's a ton of that. And people just get kind of used to it. But the tricky thing is, Korg's seven foot six. As I mentioned, Taika is not. And I'm not going to put him on, you know, like on on some crazy lifts. So we build this backpack rig, which has got a, a 3D printed. In this film, it's actually the final version of Korg from the last picture from Thor Ragnarok. Whatever we ended up with as the CG asset, 3D printed, made back into reality from the computer, and then hung on on this metal rod that Tycho then wears to make sure that when he's dealing with any of the other actors. That they're not tempted to look him in the eye; they're always tempted to look Korg in the eye.
0: Amazing! <laughs> it sounds fun. I was on the set for Ragnarok for a little bit. When you're talking about it and thinking of my memories of just how fun that set felt, there was just a joyous aspect of filmmaking that was, seemed to be shared by everyone. I get that vibe here, which is it's super cool.
2: It's a family atmosphere. I mean, Taika does that. I think he can't not do that. He's such an inclusive person, and he and he's such a committed family man and just you know he wants everybody to bring their kids in and you know he plays lots of music on set you know he famously will go for a nap every now and again and and it's something that you have to remember it's like you know when i'm asking for things on set when asking the crew to stop and do something you really have to weigh up whether or not like it's in the film's best interest to get the thing so it's it's a very respectful process but it, it really helps when you've got somebody like like t at the helm who is just calming everybody down and uh (laughs) making a few jokes here and there and like the works of the work like you know we get great performances out of it but i think i think everybody appreciates it and it's why he attracts great crews is because you know that the vibe on set is just much more fun
1: well and then you do such cool stuff like what director is going to be like hey do a black and white whole scene so cool. And I know that you guys worked with some really interesting sort of lighting and stuff. How were you sort of pushing the envelope and working in that environment where you had all of these characters fighting in this all kinds of lighting? There's lightning happening. It's black and white. How do you do it?
2: And there's the everything in that sequence. That's the thing. And Moon of Shame is, is like, I I think, one of the more fun things to look at visually in the picture because it's striking. It just comes out of nowhere. You're in the goat boat over that sort of frozen Aurora Borealis stuff. Everything suddenly goes black and white. And then you do, you just bash into the moon. So you get the idea immediately, you, you know, the size of the moon. Because we do the, what we call the hamster wheel shot, where they're just walking on the top of it and it's wheeling around. But yeah, I mean, what I, what I was trying to do with that one is, I have really thought it deserved some strong, strong, punchy, creative lighting. I mean, that, that's the thing is, and most visual effects pictures don't do that too much because you don't know what the thing is in post production until you get to post production you can make a good guess but you're often wrong and because you're shooting actors and you're shooting actors performances the thing that they do is is the most important thing right so the light that touches the actors you have to keep so what happens is people tend to dial it down a little bit, frankly, and not make these really intense decisions, because if it's wrong, it's wrong, and there's no way to correct it later. So we we built on there's some technology, uh, which Paul de Vebeck and his crew, and a number of people have been working on over over the years to, to sort of get into a type of lighting technology, which allows you to shoot an actor, get a full performance, and then be able to strip out every individual light that they were shot. So. That may sound like a trivial thing. It's sort of impossible, but it's true. You you shoot with normal cameras, shoot with normal cranes. So the process of doing this stuff is actually very typical, but all the background technology to get it all together has never been done before in film. It's like, it's, it's a huge step forward. And what it gave us, which is the important thing, is the ability to, whatever Taika wanted to do in the edit, like if we had a particularly cool moment where Gore walks in, turns it a shot, does this, fires a thing here. It could be twenty-seven frames of picture, and often are in, in these things. The light on on Gore is perfect because we basically were cross-fading between these different light sources that we'd already built there, and then the visual effects vendors would then build the three D environment and do all the long, cool shadows and the beautiful dust and all that, that nice stuff. But the key thing is, is, is the performance. You've got the performance of the actor, and then you're able to lean into the action and a really defined, strong, like lunar look in an action sequence, which nobody's ever been able to do with full confidence and and flexibility ever. And then, because we've got all these powers and stuff like that, people are firing lightning and all sorts of things everywhere, we decided what if all the weapons bring color back in? So when you get two weapons, like if Thor smashes Stormbreaker towards a Necrosword, you actually will introduce a sphere of color back into everything. The same thing when Valkyrie is stabbing Gore with uh, with Thunderbolt, that golden glow comes back onto her. And so there's all these little nuances in the sequence that are just not been possible before. We just ran at that, really. It was a bit of a jump. <laughs> that was a jump off the cliff to stitch, um, stitch the parachute, no question there.
0: It works. It looks really cool. Another place that I know Lorraine and I were talking about separately that we want to talk about is Omnipotent City, because... Sure holy moly, filled with gods and it's incredible. And, and can you talk us about how you go about creating that with so much detail, so many characters, so many things moving at every single... It seems like when I first watched it, I was like, I don't know where to look.
1: Oh, especially yeah. that big scene in the roundabout is so crazy.
0: Yeah. And then I saw it in 3D and I was like, I need yeah, to yeah, live yeah.
2: here. It's <laughs>
0: incredible.
2: Awesome. It's a work of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of incredibly skilled artists and a long time let's start with the edict which was i don't want to see any copy and pasting like that's that's from Tyker because uh, in crowd systems you always copy and paste this oh. is the thing is like you change a bit but you basically copy and paste because that's the efficiency of working in computers no like he, he wants he wants you know the the dragon gods, and he wants the ones with small heads, and he wants the ones with eight legs, and he wants the ones that are like 15 foot tall and made of eyeballs. And he wants the the (laughs) smoke gods, just literally, so the brief from the from the beginning is, they're all different, which is from a technical point of view, and a creative point of view, like both of those in unbelievable challenges. Because, again, how do you start designing 5,000 different gods from scratch that you're gonna see all the time? The answer is you build some really, really, really clever systems. And then when you see in shots, things looking repetitious, you go in and surgically fix them by hand in every single one. It's the amount of artistry that's this on display there. And then to have more walk and move and stand up and sit down, that, it, it's just its bananas. We had some cool stuff on set. Like um, the sort of hairy foot god thing
0: that yeah. that, that
2: looks bad. Like that, that's a dude in a box. It's awesome. Right? So, <laughs> so like we had him on. He was real. Like, But he like literally built a box that he could go and like sit in. Even something as simple as that on the surface, you'd go through and shoot absolutely every shot and angle that you needed to do with our heroes. And then with a whole nother unit would go through and shoot with the correct lenses and the correct sizes and all the rest of it, to just be able to put the two things together and not use c g. That's all the local stuff around these guys. And then everything else is just a fair. I mean, it's it's c g lunacy everywhere else. I mean, it's it's crazy
1: now, I know you know sometimes we've we've seen some gods that were out there that are related to the Marvel Universe, beyond even Zeus, perhaps. Do you choose folks from the Marvel Universe to plop them in there? Are you looking at the real world? Are you getting to just choose fun little weird characters that you're making up? And if so, which one is your favorite?
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, come on. got of Dumplings? Bao?
1: <laughs> oh, Bao. Yay!
2: <laughs> I mean, come on. How how great is Bao? When, we were, when we we're shooting, I'm pretty sure that everybody on the production crew thought Tycho was joking. Because <laughs> you know, sometimes you, you can deadpan pretty hard. It's pretty; it's a, it's a talent of his. And then it became super clear—not joking at all—and he's <laughs> actually going to do the God of Dumplings. I don't think there are any uh, any comic book reference of Bao the God of Dumplings. That had been used to me, but we did. I mean, obviously, we went into the library, and it's the, one of the cool things about working with Marvel and, and Marvel just being so wonderfully organized. And this is from from my point of view in the, in the visual effects world is. We don't throw anything away we can go into the archive and get the scan of captain america's shield from the first picture like all that stuff exists and is super organized so if anything's been built for any picture we've got access to it and the technology changes but you know it's incremental so you can with with a bit of a polish you can take something that was created for for a picture 10 years ago and you can use it now the core thing is Was it ever used? Because quite often you build stuff and then you put it into shots and then those shots get cut and you never see them. So one of our jobs on this one was we raided the bag. We went in, we got everything. We got anything we possibly could and we put it into this film and then multiplied it by, you know, 15 or whatever. But no, we're literally going through it. Did anybody ever see that? No, I don't think so. This is cool. Okay, okay, good. Right, well, what if we paint it green and stick it there, great. (laughs) <laughs> a lot of that.
0: I love that. Obviously, now fans will be able to get the film on 4K Ultra HD, Blu-ray, digital HD. So these really high-res, beautiful ways to watch the film. Are there any areas of Omnipotent City where you want fans to look closely at, or even somewhere else in the film where, you're like, this is something I, I want fans to be able to like fully check this out, pause it, watch it in slow mo mm. on their nice big TV. I have my 65-inch
2: weirdly one of the environments which is kind of a simple environment from a technical point of view but was the most effective i think really big viewing like with all the pixels and all the big stuff is effectively the water world the altar at the end where we go into that world where jane is dying we've got eternity in there and it's such after to me it's just such a complex visual film in the sense that we just go through so many different worlds and there's so much stuff and the shadow creatures and thousands of them and thousands of gods are here and you've got the and the noise of the goats and the, the rainbow bridge and all that business. And then all of a sudden you just go and and to me it was kind of like what we did at the end of the first Ant-Man picture, where you get shrunk down in the quantum realm and you finally get to that last bit and you're in the void and and it's just silent and it's quiet and it's just a perfect moment for that from a you know, if you've sat through a two-hour film, it's perfect for that. And I think, it's, I think the imagery is beautiful. I'm super proud of what, what uh, the artist uh, did with that. So much so that there's a quote that Natalie has, has mentioned a couple of times, which I think is, is incredibly sweet. And, and it, you know, I do hope that, that our visual effects vendors have, have read this. Is she said that that scene, it's some of the better imagery I've ever seen in, in a film, which I think is very sweet of her. She's like, but you have to understand, when we shot it, we're in a car park like literally in like a 20 foot by 30 foot paddling pool tank with a bunch of blue screens around. She's like, I don't understand how it looks like that. Cause it, it's just, and it's so you get into that big space, this infinite space, which like the reference was the salt flats in Bolivia, like just that infinite scope and horizon. I think that's really, really honestly simple and pretty at the end. But I mean, there's a million, there's a million bits and pieces that we put in there. Like, so, uh, I, hopefully when people are watching it in the ultra, high definition, they'll find all the cool little bits because I tell you, they do not stop. When you have to approve every single shot <laughs> and there's two thousand, three hundred, four hundred shots in a movie. Sure. So there's 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 a few bits and pieces in there that I think people will, will dig as they as they get into it
1: there you have it everybody go check out marvel studios thor love and thunder which is now available to own on 4k ultra hd blu-ray and digital hd and thank you so much jake it was so nice to see you again we could talk to you all day you have all the good secrets and fun
2: (laughs) thank you absolute pleasure as always
1: Special thanks once again to Jake. It was such a delight. And if you want to see more of Jake talking about the VFX for Marvel Studios' Thor Love and Thunder, I highly recommend heading over to Marvel.com. There are some great pieces about some of the big fights from the film, as well as a piece about the goats, which is really delightful with Jake. I got to do those interviews and it was a blast. Highly recommend and shout out to the Marvel Digital team for (laughs) putting together some really fun packages. But we are not done yet. We have actor Kieran Dyer, who plays Axel, son of Heimdall, just the sweetest young gentleman you've ever met. We talked to him about the film, what it was like working with so many stars, being a young actor, and how scary it can be when you are hanging out with Gore the God Butcher. Hey, Kieran, how you doing?
3: Yeah, I'm good, thanks, Lauren. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you. First and foremost, I would love to know, what's your Marvel origin story? What's the first way that you encountered the Marvel stories and characters, even before maybe you got involved with Marvel Studios?
3: Well, way before I did so I was a huge Marvel fan. My mom, I think, introduced it to the family. Her and her siblings used to love watching them. And so when she introduced them to us, we loved them immediately, straight away. Me, my sister, and my dad. We got into all the movies. We've watched all of them about a thousand times now. So yeah, I think that was mainly it. And then I started reading some of the comics. Um, I loved all of the movies. We've watched Endgame so many times now. (laughs) I loved watching behind the scenes as well. So being a part of this film was incredible.
1: So did you have an all-time favorite character before?
3: Black Widow, actually. Really? I loved Black Widow. I don't know. I think I was just so intrigued by the fact that she had no powers. Her powers were kind of like all her fists and like all the martial arts that she does. I just find it so cool.
1: Yeah, it's not bad. It's it's a pretty sweet gig that she's got. Of course, now you are part of the canon. Welcome to the Marvel (laughs) Cinematic Universe. I guess you've been in it for a while now. Uh, what was it like for you getting inducted in with everyone and getting that first call, finding out that you were going to be a part of this fandom that you've been growing up with?
3: Yeah, I mean, getting that call was crazy. I remember what happened was I was sitting down watching TV. My mom and dad got a call from my manager. They went upstairs, and I kind of sneaked onto the stairs just to listen in, even though I wasn't supposed to. And then I heard my manager go, "I was Kieran there." So then I came up the stairs, and she goes, "I've got some news." Marvel have offered you the role in Thor Love and Thunder and I was like what and I was so shocked I was so surprised and then she goes you've got to be in Thor and we were all just screaming we were so excited we were so happy oh my gosh it was crazy that night we were just I'm pretty sure it was a school night as well we stayed up so late and it was so much fun we watched Marvel movies that night as well it was just you know we had so much fun
1: and how cool that you get to play Heimdall's son, of course, played by the iconic Idris Elba. How did you prepare for the role? Because, you know, we haven't met Axel before. Did you watch some Idris? Did you read some comics? What what kind of inspired you as you were going into it?
3: Well, yeah, it's funny you say that because you're right. Um, Axel, this is the first time we're seeing him. He wasn't in the comics. So when I kind of heard of the character, I was researching everyone. I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's no Axel in the MCU or in the Marvel comics at all. So I kind of approached it in a different way. So I kind of looked more into Heimdall and his kind of charisma, his abilities and stuff like that. I rewatched Thor Ragnarok. I looked into some of the stuff that he did in the Thor films and I kind of interpreted the character that way and go, okay, Axel might be like this. He might be like this because obviously he's going to inherit some stuff from his father not just his powers, but obviously his personality and his leadership qualities and the fact that he's brave and he's determined. Like in the film, when he gets captured by Gore and all the kids, he kind of shows that kind of like, I'm going to contact Thor and I'm going to help get us out of here kind of thing. Even though he's still scared, he still shows that, okay, I'm going to need to be the one that steps up here for all of the kids.
1: What was it like getting to work with Taika Waititi, who is notoriously mischievous on set and loves to play around and improvise? What was that like?
3: Ah, that was amazing. It was so much fun working with him. He really is kind of like a big kid. He's so funny. He's silly. He's creative. I mean, on set every day, he just created such a fun environment. He was always playing music, always dancing and singing. It was just so much fun. And I think working with him, I got to do a lot of stuff that I hadn't really done before, especially, like you said, improvisation. I hadn't done that before. So doing that with him was a lot of fun. I got to learn a lot from him and from Chris as well from doing improvisation, because we kind of played around with the lines a bit. Like, I remember when we were doing the one-through once when we were in the caller cage, and Taika was kind of just like, yeah, you know what, let's take that out, let's put this in instead. Ah, oh, scrap that, that's rubbish. let's put this in. Like, he was really creative. He's really, <laughs> he's really, he's really like that,
1: yeah. You just say, Chris like, as in Chris Hemsworth of course very casually yeah. and now I'm sure <laughs> that you're pals but what was it like you know you are a young person watching those films growing up what is it like to pop up onto set and suddenly be with Natalie Portman and Chris Hemsworth and everybody just acting in scenes like a normal day of work
3: <laughs> it was absolutely crazy and because I'm a kid as well it was kind of like calling it work was it was just so weird and then I remember once I was in a tent and I looked up and I was like, that's Chris Hemsworth and Ali Portman, Taika Waititi, Tessa Thompson. Like, all these incredible A list actors were like, it was so crazy that I got to work with all of them, but they were so nice. They made me feel so comfortable while I was on set and I'm so glad that I got to meet them and work with them. I learned so much
1: from them. You know, it's interesting because like you get to see on the Blu-ray or digital HD, a lot of times we see those behind the scenes and you're on a blue screen or a green screen, you know, or you're not in a real reality because obviously a lot of those sets don't exist in real life. There's a lot of really talented people who make them. What is it like for you as an actor to have to create that whole world in your imagination and how weird is it?
3: It was re- quite weird, actually. I remember when we were doing the end battle scene and that scene, it was all blue screen around us. So we kind of had to imagine the environment, get into character and go, OK, we're in this magical planet that's in space. We're not in on Earth filming a movie kind of thing. We really had to get into character when we were doing that. But it was really fun when we were doing it. And I think also when we were doing a lot of the fighting stuff as well, a lot of it we were just like hitting the air. So when we watched it back on the monitor, it looked a bit weird. But um, yeah, you just kind of had to really imagine, put that in your mind, going, okay, there's a monster there. And maybe, oh, there's a monster coming up behind me. Maybe I should do that. So it was really fun to be able to play around with that.
1: You're speaking about that sort of final big scene at the edge of eternity, which is, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the film, go watch it and then come back. Yeah. Um, But there's obviously this huge fight. There are so many kids that get to be a part of it. What was it like to wield the power of Thor? Did Chris give you any tips on on how to wield (laughs) that lightning or that electricity? What was that like? He
3: did, actually. I remember when we were doing it, and he goes, the power of Thor. And then we all kind of put our heads up and there's lightning in our eyes and all that stuff. And it was, it was so much fun to film. And I think the one thing he was like, was, the speed. you know, when you go into battle and then you do that like war cry, like, just be aggressive with it, really shout it. Because obviously it reminded me a bit of Endgame on a bigger scale, obviously, when they went into battle. So it kind of reminded me of that. And he was kind of just like, you know, what, be aggressive with it, shout, pretend like you're actually going into battle kind of thing. And so, yeah, that was so much fun to film. It really was.
1: So as we were saying, you know, the 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray and digital HD versions are coming out for folks. They can get them now. And the thing I always really love is watching the bloopers. And I'm sure that there are bloopers for this film, just knowing who all you folks are. Do (laughs) you have a favorite blooper that you experienced on set or just a funny day that you got to enjoy?
3: Oh, that's a good one. I think there was a lot of times when we were on set There's a bit where I kind of make up this little mini story about when I'm telling the kids before Gore comes in behind me kind of thing. And we played around with that a lot. I messed that up a lot. There were so many different versions of that. But it was so much fun to film and to kind of be creative and play around with that as well. So that was really fun.
1: That sounds so fun. And also a little bit scary. Obviously, Christian Bale is a very talented gore. He's very creepy in the film. Did you get caught up in that moment of the scariness of those scenes?
3: Definitely. The first time I saw Christian Bale, he wasn't in costume, and he was so nice. He came up to me and said hi and introduced himself, and I still, to this day, can't believe that he did that. Christian Bale is an incredible actor, even more an incredible person, but the first time I saw him in costume, he was filming a scene with Chris Hemsworth, Tessa Thompson, and Natalie Portman, and Tyka. And I saw him on, on the monitor and I was like, wow. I don't know what he was going to look like, but he freaked me out. So when I got to film that scene with him, I think some of that fear that I portrayed was definitely real because he was terrifying. And the way he portrays the character is amazing. He's done an incredible job.
1: Well, so did you. Oh, thank you. Karen. it was so fun talking to you. Love the film. Love your performance in it. It's been such a blast hanging out with you. Thank you so much.
3: Oh, thank you too, Lauren. Thank you so much.
1: And of course, everybody go pick up Marvel Studios Thor, Love, and Thunder, now available to own on 4K Ultra HD, Blu ray, and digital HD.
0: Big thank you once again to Kieran Dyer for coming on the show. I am super duper bummed I had to miss that conversation. He is also triple D, a ding dang delight.
1: Just the best. Um, We hope to see lots and lots more of him. And don't forget to enter the sweepstakes to take home your very own copy of the film. Once again, you can find the link to enter and the full rules in the show notes. But you must be a resident of the United States and 18 years
0: old or older
1: to enter. All right. Next week is an interview that you did, Ryan.
0: That's right. We are going to have on Blessing Adeoye Jr., who is a podcaster and a host for kind of funny a great youtube channel podcast group friends of ours we've had some of them on this week in marvel before mm-hmm. but he is also one of forbes 30 under 30 which is a really cool list of folks who are doing really great things around the world and entertainment and media who are under 30 years old he also hosted the marvel and disney Games showcase at d23 expo he was wonderful we talked to him at the expo so we will get into that chat next week but also next week, we will be getting into New York Comic Con. There's so much stuff going on, whether it's the panels, the signings, the booth activities, giveaways, merchandise, all kinds of stuff. So with that in mind, our question of the week is when you go to a big, amazing convention like New York Comic Con, what's the first thing you do?
1: It has to be running, not running because you're not allowed to run, but walking very efficiently to get those exclusives that mm-hmm. sell out. But the real first, first thing I always do is try to figure out where the people I know are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I like to go up and down the aisles, very structured. Like, I, mm. I don't like going in the... If I'm in the middle of the convention floor, I get a little agita. If I'm just like, ah, I can't just start in the willy-nilly and just walk around. I have to start at the very end of the convention floor and work my way around so that way. I feel like I've seen everything. I have a very specific way of going through conventions,
1: but that's just me. But of course, you can tell us what you want to do. Tweet us your answers using hashtag This Week in Marvel. Email them to twimpodcast at marvel.com. Or you could send us a message on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Marvel. And of course, make sure to tell us if it's okay to read on the show so we can read it on the show like we're about
0: to right now. Yes, because our question of the week last week was, what was your favorite scene for Marvel Studios' Thor, Love, and Thunder? And before we get into all your answers... Be the forewarned, we are fully in spoiler territory coming up with all of these answers. If you have not seen the film yet, please go watch it right now on Disney Plus or on your Blu ray, on your digital HD copy, wherever you have it. Please, we are getting into spoilers. You've been warned. First up is Samantha S. at Seasonal Tiger 35, who says the scene with the kids fighting the shadow monsters after Thor gave them power with Axel leading the charge.
1: Yeah, that scene is epic. Crusader v27 at Justin Azevedo10 says, My favorite scene was when Thor granted his power to the kids and they faced gore and his shadow creatures. The entire sequence was done perfectly and the music was an awesome choice. Of course, talking about Guns N' Roses November Reign, how appropriate. Yeah. Next up, we've got Maxwell Patton at Rockin underscore McFly who said I've got two one when Jane realized Stormbreaker was necessary for Eternity and Gore attacked, and two when Thor gives power to the Asgardian kids and they start beating up monsters to November Rain, got legit giddy at that in the theater, love it
0: for sure. Christian Bitsy at reclaiming Chris Thor butt.
1: <laughs> at least the people are honest.
0: James Edwards at. Itato23 says, Jane Foster's first appearance in action as the mighty Thor. Natalie was great.
1: Yeah. All right. Next up, Lispy Lizard at L. Lispy Lizard said, the scene where Jane tells Thor about her cancer. I thought this was by far the most emotional moment because it was handled in such a serious and heartfelt way and was brought to screen perfectly by Chris and especially Natalie's performance. Ugh. Yeah.
0: Mediaverse Plus at Mediaverse Plus says my favorite parts were the intro scenes featuring the Guardians of the Galaxy. I loved seeing their dynamic with Thor and I feel it definitely added a fun MCU layer to the film. Finally getting to see our favorite space heroes teaming up and causing chaos.
1: I love that scene where Thor is trying to get in his eye line with Star-Lord. It's so good. Alexander F. Sill at Sill1001 said, My absolute favorite scene is when Thor takes Stormbreaker and jumps off to ride it like a witch. <laughs> Almost died in the cinema. <laughs> Tremendous. Metfan at Metfan says, When they crashed into the moon and the goats scream. <laughs> Actually, I laughed every time the goats screamed.
0: <laughs> I truly... Danielle at ex Danielle says anytime they were in new Asgard because I got engaged in St. Ab's recently and love seeing it Aww. in the movie. So I read this at first and I was like, wait, is St. Ab's like a place where everybody has great abs. Is that like, is oh, that boy. like the name of a person who's got great abs? St. Ab's the saint, patron saint of abdominal muscles, but I guess it's where they filmed.
1: Uh, yes. <laughs> Dominic Tyson at Dominic underscore Tyson said the scene where Thor is talking to Mjolnir and then Stormbreaker floats by. No words needed, just a sentient weapon feeling a bit jealous of its predecessor. Great visual gag. I love their little relationship. Aaron Achi at AaronA58 said there's only two kinds of people. Those who think the screaming goats are the best part of Marvel Studios Thor Love and Thunder and those who are wrong. (laughs)
0: i saw that one right before we started recording i was like i have to include this one it was so good yeah Karis pollard at a Karis pollard said definitely when the children got powers and the cute girls bunny rabbit spews fire so much fun
1: all right next up we got an email from jc who says hi ryan and lorraine hope you guys are doing well my favorite Marvel Studios Thor love and thunder scene is hard to choose because the whole movie is so good. But if I had to, it's between Thor versus Zeus and the whole fight with gore on the moon. The first scene shows how dope Thor is and why you shouldn't get on his bad side. And the second scene shows how scary gore truly is. And Christian Bale's performance shines. I love the show and keep on being awesome.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get a a quick email from Grayson Woznisenski who says everything with the goats in it. And the post credit scenes. Oh, yeah. Hercules, Hercules, Hercules.
1: Also, just the casting for Hercules, I mm-hmm.
0: screamed. We got an email from James Dean who says, Hi, Twim Team. I'm a listener for two years and a first-time writer. My favorite scene in Marvel Studios' Thor Love and Thunder is when the owl folk, the Shrike, take to their motorcycles. The energy in that scene is bananas. I laughed out loud and instantly understood the tone of the film to come.
1: It's so fun.
0: Also, thank you, James, for listening for so long and writing in. I know it takes a lot for anybody to make that effort, but we really, really, truly appreciate you.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Next up, we got an email from Joe Hoffman, who said he's working on a musical, and- uh, said my musical saga really has been greatly influenced by marvel by terrific writers like stan lee and kelly thompson who encouraged me to become a better writer and awesome shows like marvel studios hawkeye on disney plus that include musicals in them i loved rogers the musical thanks for all the inspiration i keep getting from marvel i can write musicals about the blues all day love you cap And in answer to the most recent question of the week, my favorite scene from Marvel Studios' Thor Love and Thunder was seeing Jane Foster become the mighty Thor for the first time. I'm a huge fan of Natalie Portman, and I think in the movie she did a wonderful job of portraying dramatically what Jason Aaron had written about so incredibly in Marvel Comics. Besides that, seeing the goats and the goat boat was a close second until next time twin family i hope you all have a wonderful week in marvel and beyond your humble ambassador of the united states of marvel's pull list and the people's republic of this week in marvel (laughs) working title from the wheat state of kansas very well done joe thank you
0: yes if anyone would like citizenship in the people's republic of this week in marvel please reach out to lorraine and i we are accepting applications we'll most likely let you in All right. Great email from William R. who said, hello, Twim hosts. My favorite Infinity comic, which was a recent question of our week, no doubt has to be X-Men Unlimited. X-Men Green by Jerry Duggan and then Carlo Pacheco and Steve Orlando, those are the writers, is an example of using a minor plot point established from one series, then expanding it into other plot points unseen from the other series in the first and second Krakoan eras. He says, my question to you guys, if Nature Girl was uncursed, could there be a possibility for her to link into the nature of every ecosystem in every planet? For she is only the first mutant to communicate with nature on Earth. The multiverse needs their own nature mutants as a call to protect so every lost Earth can be found again. That said... Enjoy your weekend. Two more weeks until the big blowout at New York Comic Con and Excelsior. William, I love your deep, deep questions going into some of the nerdiest comic book stuff. I always love them. I love seeing them. You know, Nature Girl is very much tied to Earth. That's established early on in X-Men Green. So, like, that's why she doesn't want to go to on to Mars or whatever. She is connected to her planet. I think, you know, maybe there are other... Characters who have those connections to other planets.
1: Who knows what's in the multiverse?
0: Yeah, the multiverse is going to have all kinds of fun stuff. So will we ever see that? Who knows? But it's fun to think about. All right, that is it for us. This episode of This Week in Marvel is produced by Zachary Goldberg, Isabel Robertson, Kara McGurk, Allison, Jasmine Estrada, Lorraine Sink, and Ryan Panagos.
1: Our Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development is Brad Barton. Hi, Brad.
0: Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio.
1: And special thanks to Dupes Boobs. Does your nose need a boob? try dupes spoops. dupes poops. get yours today i'm ryan i'm lorraine
0: and this is marvel
1: your universe the marvel studios, studios thor, thor love and, love and thunder, and Thun, thunder Ray Ray sweep Stakes, blu-ray sweepstakes presented steaks, by this presented
0: week in by marvel.
2: this week in marvel <laughs>